Good morning. Our reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 10, 17 through 27. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that, you, that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you f- from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. <clears throat> then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the, the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the uh, Muchrites was taken by Lot, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the, of the kingship. And he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his own home. Saul also went to his home at uh, Gabeah, and went, with him went, went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But he held his peace. Thank you, John. He didn't get the text beforehand. He just got it, and he did pretty well. So I'm I'm pretty impressed. Um, I was going to do it, but always glad to share the microphone. Want to invite our children's to children's <laughs> children to children's church, and uh, as they go, I'll uh, I'll go ahead and pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for the great songs that we get to sing every morning to you and to each other, and to remind each other, Lord, that you are real, that you care, and like we just sang, that you're coming back. The, the sky will be peeled back like a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord will descend. And Lord, even then, it's well with our soul. It's even better with our soul when you come. So Lord, um, come soon, we pray. Uh, Father, I want to pray again for uh, Kathy Stromberg and her whole family as they deal with her mom's passing. And um, Lord, the, the grief, even though they knew that, that's, that this was coming, Lord, grief can come in, in, in different ways at different times and really surprise you. So I pray for her family, Lord, that they would be able to uh, understand and process her mom's passing, deal with uh, the material affairs of cleaning up her estate, and and um, just think of a, a future where mom's not around. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, if, if Kathy needs comfort and, and strength from our church, Lord, may we be there and be sensitive to her and and be ready to help. And so have, have mercy on her and her whole family, we ask. 
And Lord, I want to thank you for Lisa's healing, her recovery. And Lord, we pray that it would come complete and that um, she would be restored to uh, good health again. Thank you that she's able to be with us again this morning. And I just pray that you would continue to bless her with um, good health, but Lord, good health so that she might continue to pursue you and know more of who you are. And Lord, that's what we ask for all of us. Can we know more of you? Would you show us more of who you are? And Lord, one of the primary ways you do that through, is through your word. So bless the preaching and the, uh, the understanding of your word this morning. Take it, cause it to take root in our hearts and, um, and change our lives to be more like Jesus, we ask in his name. Amen. Jay and Susie Trexler, you don't know them, um, they've lived and worked on a farm in Half Moon Bay up near San Francisco for about a dozen years or so. That's just kind of what they've done. Five years ago, uh, Susie gave birth to their son, Jack, and he's just kind of grown up on the farm. When I was a kid, my grandparents had a farm, and I would go up there every summer and go fishing and, and just explore. It was great. It was wonderful. So I just really kind of envy this young man. This is his whole life, not just his summer vacation. And uh, they're really outdoor loving people. They go on hikes and everything. It's, it's just a, a great environment for them. Well, on New Year's Eve, um, they took a walk near their farm when Jack got a little bit ahead of the family. And suddenly out of nowhere, a juvenile mountain lion pounced and pinned him to the ground. Um, it was a real surprise. So, so Jack was trying to fight back and trying to get free. And Susie, his mother, sprang into action and chased the, the mountain lion off scooped her son up and ran him to the hospital. Um, his aunt said he's covered in cuts, bruises, and scratches, but his spirit remains intact. And so here's an example of, of a five-year-old boy's spirit. Uh, when Jack told his father what happened, he said, Dad, a mountain lion tackled me. He's just, just a, a kid full of energy. Um, he's got some stitches. He's got a fracture near his eye. And as the swelling goes down, they'll be able to determine if there's surgery needed or he'll just recover. Uh, but Jay said, Susie is the bravest woman I know. Um, she had no doubts that, you know, this was the right thing to do, and, and the family is pretty sure they're just going to go back to hiking. Um, it's what they do, he said. Well, I'm betting that uh, perhaps next time Jack may stay a little closer to the group. Um, even though he seemed pretty cool with being attacked by a mountain lion, it's still got to be pretty scary. And if not, I'm sure Mom is going to go, that's too far, come back. There's a danger inherent in running ahead sometimes. If we get too far ahead, we kind of become exposed. The problem with Jack is he was small, and there was nobody around him, so the mountain lion thought this is an easy prey. Um, sprung before it looked, and you know, mom came to the rescue, but it, it could have been much worse. There's danger in running ahead sometimes, and so we have to be really careful that. What we're going to see this morning is Israel running ahead of the Lord. They're going to get ahead of him, and they're going to have to deal with the consequences. So remember, in 1 Samuel, what's going on is we're still in this phase of there was no king in Israel, and so everybody did what was right in their own eyes. It's about to come to an end because today is coronation day for Saul. This is where he's going to be made king. But in his coronation, there's a very valuable lesson for us to learn in this too. Um, to not get ahead of the Lord. So let's take a look. So it starts with uh, Samuel brought the tribes of Israel near, and oh, I'm sorry, it starts with Samuel called the people together uh, to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. And what he does is he gathers the group. He has this convocation. They come together for the actual coronation service. And what does Samuel start with? He starts with a sermon. 
He, he reminds them of their history. This is what the God of Israel said. I brought you up out of Israel, out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of the kingdoms that were oppressing you. He reminds them of their history. Moses has written to you, you were, you were slaves in Egypt, and I brought you out with a mighty hand. And when we were wandering in the wilderness, kings came and attacked you, and I defended you. I, I brought victory to you. And then you came into the promised land, and under Joshua's leadership, I delivered the entire promised land to you. You wiped out all of these kingdoms. And now, since that time, you've settled in the promised land. And what's been happening? I've been raising up judges to deliver you when you cry out to me. I have done this. And, and the I in that is emphatic. It has moved to the right, very front of the sentence. It's God who has done these things. So he's reminding him, this is who I am. Starts with a theology lesson. And then Samuel goes on, but today you have rejected your God. The, the, what's emphatic in that sentence is not but, but you. It's moved to the very front. You have rejected your God today, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. He's, in other words, he says, look at the history of Israel. What has happened? God has delivered you consistently. Today, you're saying, we don't want that. Give us a king. What a great, upbeat way to start the coronation service is just, this is going to be wonderful, you guys. You're being disobedient. Again. But he sets that tone, and then he says, you know what? The Lord is going to do this anyway. And so he says, now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Now, I don't think that all of Israel, man, woman, and child, showed up in Mizpah at this point and is standing before Saul. Because if they did, their lands are left exposed. And the Philistines are already causing problems anyway. So what there's probably going on is this is representatives from the tribes and the clans, all the leaders gathered together. And so they come to, to Samuel, and they're ready for the coronation service. So Samuel brought the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by lot. So that's how they used to decide things, is we, they would cast lots. And so they, they probably went through the tribes, and they were casting lots, and when the lot came out in a certain configuration, that was the tribe. And so the one that comes out is Benjamin. Cool, okay, so now we'll gather the clans of Benjamin and we'll cast lots, and the Martites are chosen. Don't know who they were, anything about them. It's the only time the word appears in the Bible. It's not important. They're chosen. That's the important part. And then somehow it gets down to Saul. And we don't know how they did that. The, the author just kind of summarizes real quick and moves us too. But Saul is, is, is found. And so it says, when they sought him, he could not be found. <laughs> He's missing. Where'd he go? So... Somehow the Lord indicates, behold, he's hidden himself among the baggage. Maybe he gave that to Samuel and Samuel said it. I can't imagine that uh, um, casting lots would somehow determine, is he behind that tree? No. Is he behind that tree? No. Oh, is he behind the... So it, maybe it was Samuel just announced it. Again, not really important. What happens is you're told he's with the baggage. And so they ran and they took him. And he stood among the people and he was taller than all the people from his shoulders upwards. This is a big dude. This is, this is the kind of king you're going to look up to. <laughs> Sorry. Um, he's, he's just the kind of guy you want leading you because he's big. He's going to be impressive on the battlefield. Um, he's going to draw attention and that kind of thing. So they, they notice how big he is. And Samuel said to the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. You know, it hadn't hit me until um, it was read this morning. There is none like him among the people. Is that a compliment or an insult? I'm not sure, because 
Who's coming next? David. David is a man after God's own heart. There is none like him, like Saul in all of Israel. In other words, he's not like David. It just hit me in that moment. It was like, oh, man, that might be kind of a zing. And all the people shouted, long live the king. The coronation has happened. It, it, it has occurred. Um, when we think of coronations, we think, I think of like uh, the Great Britain. Like when King Charles goes through his coronation process, it's going to be huge. They've got all this pomp and ceremony. They've got these special carriages that come out and these special guards. And they've got this castle and that castle and, and this cathedral and all of these things. And it's got hundreds of years of tradition on what it looks like to, cor to crown a king. Israel has never had a king. They don't know how to do it. They don't have a tradition. How do we make this happen? Well, the thing they did was just yell, long live the king. That seems like a good thing. And then he went home. There's, there's no castle for him to return to. There's no capital of Israel yet. It's just, that's what's happened. So what happens next is Samuel tells the people the rights and duties of the kingship. Now remember previously when they asked for a king, he said, here's what the king is going to do. And he told the rights and duties of the king. Now he talks in a little bit broader terms, the kingship, the ruler that's going to be over you. Here's his rights and responsibilities. Here's, here's what he's going to do for and to you. And then he wrote him in a book and laid it before the Lord. So now it's written down, it's official, this is the law for the king. This is what it's going to look like. And then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. So this is one of the important things that a king has to have. He has to have a court, right? Would, would King Arthur have been anything without the Knights of the Round Table? He needed his court around him. And so what God did is God picked and anointed Saul to be king, and then he moved the heart of men of valor, men of integrity, men who could fight in a battle. He moved their heart, and they went with him. They said, we're with the king. It's beginning to form his court, his, his, his entourage, his defense. Um, but uh, some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. Apparently, one of the things they did was bring the king gifts. But these worthless fellows said, ah, we don't like him. Well, I didn't vote for him. He's not my king. And, uh, and they, they didn't bring him anything. They didn't respect the king as they should. Um, but he held his peace. So Saul didn't say or do anything about it. He, he just kind of said, you know, this is a day of celebration. Let's put this on hold. So that's a very simple story, isn't it? It's only about 10, what is it, 10 verses or so? Um, pretty straightforward. So what's the point? What's, where does this thing go? What do we do with this kind of story? Well, one of the things that I think is the funniest in here is Saul hiding among the baggage. He, he is the tallest man in Israel, and he's hiding in the baggage. And it just draws your attention. It, it kind of cracks me up, and a lot of the commentators kind of focused on that. But um, the question is kind of, you know, where's Saul? Is Saul among the prophets? No, he's with the luggage. It just is, is, is funny. So why was he there? What was he doing? I kind of think what I'd always kind of been inclined to is he was uh, hiding. He was embarrassed, and, and he wasn't sure he wanted to be king, and so he was hiding. Um, perhaps he was just being modest. Oh, me, the king, oh, never. Let me go hide. You know, it, it, what occurred to me is it might be that he said, you know what? They're going to make me king. I wanted to have my dad's sword with me, so let me go hunt in the luggage. Where is it? Where's that stupid donkey of mine? I, oh, here it is. And then they go and find him. So we don't know, right? The author doesn't tell us why he's hiding there, just that he was with the luggage. 
with the baggage. The baggage was all the stuff they would bring. So implements of war, food, their animals, all of that stuff. So he's with that. The reason I think the author doesn't tell us why he was hiding is because it's not important. Saul is not the point here. The point is Israel. What did Israel do? Israel ran to find him. They are the ones who are going after him. So instead of running after the Lord, they're running after Saul. And, and that's where we get most of the information. The emphasis isn't on Saul. The emphasis is on the people at this point. They have rejected their God and chosen to have Saul as in charge instead of them. So this is the, the, um, the culmination of all that Israel did is, is right here. Is they, they had seen what God had done. They had rejected or, or you know, lived under the judges until the judge died, and then they'd switch and go chase another God. And now they're rejecting God and saying, we need, we need a king. Go put a king over us. So they sought him. They chased him out. They found him amongst the luggage. They sought their king. What they did is they ran ahead of God. And the reason I say that is because God intended to give Israel a king. This, this is not something that they were wrong to say, give us a king for. I say that because Deuteronomy 28, Moses says, here's the duties of the king. This is what's going to happen when you get a king. When you get to the land and you appoint a king over yourselves, this is what's going to happen. And then even closer to home, 1 Samuel chapter 2, in Hannah's song, when she's praising God, she says, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So this, this picture here is, there was always intended to be a king in Israel. The people weren't wrong for wanting that. The people were wrong in their timing. They wanted it now. They wanted the king right now. So in, in chapter 8, when they asked for him, and they said to, to um, Samuel, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king like all the nations. That was their fault. Is they didn't wait on the Lord and say, Lord, we're looking forward and we don't know what's going on, so we think a king would be good. What are you going to do? They say, no, we want it now. Give it to us now. We know there's a king coming. Give it to us now. And what's interesting is when you read through this, the author is very careful with his words. The only people that call Saul a king is the people. Samuel never calls him a king, and God never calls him a king. The word that they use is uh, a prince or a leader. That's as close as it gets. The people look and say, this is our king. This is what we want. So when God mentions uh, the word king, it's on the lips of the other people. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king, chapter 8. Obey their voice and make them a king. It's not make him my king. It's their king. So that, that's the way he speaks of them. And then when Saul, or Samuel mentions it, it's in, on the lips of the people. You're asking for that king. Now, there was a king coming. And where you get that is we'll get there, but it's chapter 16 when we meet David. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since, uh, Saul, Saul? How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesli, the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. David is the first time God says, I have appointed for myself a king. This is the king that I wanted. This is the king I was going to go with. So all the other times, it's prince. The only time David is called a prince, using that same word, is on the mouth of Abigail, his future wife, 
when the Lord makes you prince over a people. But it wasn't in the same kind of context as, as the other cases. So what's happening is the people are, are jumping ahead of God's plan. David's not ready yet. He's not prepared to be king. Remember, when we meet David, Saul will have been king for a while, and David will just be a young boy out in the fields taking care of the sheep. He's not prepared to be king at this point, but we need a king. We want a king right now, so give us a king. Well, you get Saul. He's the placeholder until David's ready, and then I'll, he'll ascend to the throne. What God's doing here is he's not being a, a, a mechanical kind of natural consequences here to their, their request. He's being like a father. Because when they've asked before, he's told them no. Remember when they were fighting the Philistines and they went and got the Ark of the Covenant and they brought it out and they said, this will help us and we'll win. And God went, no, you won't. And they lost. And the, the Ark got taken and uh, um, uh, Eli's boys got killed and a bunch of people were killed in the battle and it just didn't go well for them. God didn't let them win that one. But he didn't leave them on their own either, did he? What happened when the Philistines got the ark? God went, uh, no, it's coming home. And so he was still involved, but he, he didn't give them what they wanted. He didn't give them what they expected. Now they come and they say, give us a king. And God says, okay, I'll give you a king. And you're going to learn your lesson from this. This is what you get for running ahead of me. So it, it's, it's God behaving like a father towards his children. Sometimes as a father, you will tell your kids no. Can I stick my hand on the stove? No, that's dumb. Don't do that. Can I run ahead and get attacked by a mountain lion? That would probably be not a good idea. But then sometimes you let your kids do something because it's not dangerous, it's not going to hurt them, but they will learn their consequences from it. I'm kind of a hard-headed guy. I had to learn by bumping into things. Um, my grandfather told me, he said, Timmy, I could tell you a thousand times not to do it, and you would do it. And that's the only way you're going to learn. And by the way, this was in reference to an electric fence that I stuck my hand on. And guess what I learned? It hurts. You know, don't do that. So God will treat us in that way. He will treat us in an individual way. He'll respond to our exact circumstances. And sometimes he'll let us go and then just let us deal with the consequences. And sometimes he'll just shut us down and say no. And, and that's actually good news because this is a, a, a father who cares and who loves us, who is working for our good, not for our destruction. He wants the best for us. And so this is how Israel is behaving. He said, okay, you want a king? I'm going to show you what a king is going to be like. And it's not, you're not going to like it. Then I'll put my king in place. And when my king is in place, things will be much better. He's letting them learn their lesson the hard way. So what can we learn from this? What do we gain from this? Well, we can learn not to run ahead of the Lord. We can learn there are times when we just have to wait on the Lord. And, and waiting is really hard for us Americans. We like to do things. I want it fixed. Um, I want it taken care of immediately. Let's go do it now. But sometimes we just have to wait. And so when, when you hear Christians say, well, wait on the Lord, there are two dangers of screwing this up. There are two ways you could fall off this donkey to the left or to the right and mess this up. The first way is something called quietism. I'm not going to do anything until I hear from the Lord. I'm just going to sit still and I'm going to wait and wait, wait for the Lord to speak. Or you can fall off the other side, which is activism, which is do something before we hear the Lord speak. So that's the danger. Okay, how do I stay on this horse? How do I not fall off on either side? If I wait for him and don't do anything, that's not helpful. If I do something before I hear from him, that's not helpful. So what do I do? 
To wait on the Lord for a Christian means a number of things. First of all, let's take a look at what Israel did and didn't do. We'll hold them up as kind of an example and say, what, what is missing here? So the first thing is, when we do that, we should pray. When we engage in something, we're at this crossroads, we have a difficult situation, something going on, we should pray. Israel didn't pray. They came to Samuel and said, give us a king now. They didn't come to Samuel and say, hey, Samuel, why don't we stop and have a prayer meeting and seek the Lord because we're unsure of our future. You're getting old. Your kids are rotten, and we don't know what the future looks like, and we're scared. Would you lead us in prayer? Let's go to the Lord. They didn't do that. They took action. They said, let's go. Let's go do this. So the first thing that we can do when we run into these situations, when we have a difficulty, when our health is failing, when our job sucks, when our... Um, uh, finances don't look like they're going to make it when, um, as happened recently, we get orders that we weren't expecting to uh, another state. Um, what do we do? How do we do that? Well, step one is pray. Now, that's step one. I don't do that very well. I'm a fixer. I fix things. From the time I graduated from high school, I was aircraft maintenance. I didn't go out to an airplane and say, how are you feeling? I want out what's broken, let me fix it. I'm just a repairer of things. When I got a job at Whole Foods Market, I worked in the help desk. Guess what I did on the help desk? You have a problem? Okay, let me fix that for you. This is just my nature. So when I run into a problem, my first instinct is fix it. What my first instinct as a Christian should be is pray. So way too often, I'll engage something, I'll start working on it, and I go, oh man, Lord, would you help me with this? I don't know what I'm doing anymore. So that's something that we need to cultivate. It's a habit. It's, it's not something that is, can't be gained. You can do that. And do you know how to learn how to pray? You gotta pray. And, and here's, here's some good news. God is atemporal. In other words, God doesn't exist in time. All time is laid out before him. So if you start in something and it's way too late and you pray, God knew you were gonna pray because he had already seen you pray. And so prayer is not bound necessarily in time. You can pray after an event, and it still works. It's still because you're appealing to God. Who cares? So pray, even if it's late. You can still pray and say, Lord, help me. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I want to hear your voice. I want to see what you have here. What's the best route for this? And so you start with prayer. Next, how did Samuel start the coronation ceremony? He recited scripture to them. He went through, he summarized Moses' writing. You were a slave in Egypt. All of these kings oppressed you. All of these problems came and God delivered you through every one. You can turn to scripture. Scripture is there for us. It's written for our benefit. And so we can go to the scriptures. Now, my car is getting a little long in the tooth. It's a 2002. Um, needing more repairs than I'm sure I'm comfortable paying for at this moment. So I'm kind of riding the fence on what do I do? Should I replace this thing or, or spend the money to fix it? Or what should I do here? I am not going to turn to the index of my Bible here and say, uh, should I fix my car? It's just not there. There's no formula in here that says, well, if your vehicle has cost this much and it costs this much, that isn't happening. But I can go to the scripture and say, Lord, make me wise on this. What's the best use of my money? What's the best way I should approach this? I, I need to have a car. Do I need to have a car? How, how should I approach this? And we can go to scripture and we can look and say, there are principles that God's going to give us here. I should probably not go way into debt and buy the, the top of the line Tesla at this point in my life. 
I'm not going to be able to pay it off. I've got to be working towards retirement. I, I can't be working towards, you know, paying on this beautiful, huge car for the rest of my life. There's principles in there that can guide us. So we have to be careful to do that. And, and when we go to the scripture, what we should be looking for, and this is something that can be sometimes hard for us evangelicals, is you're not looking for law. We want law. Lord, should I buy a car? Here's the law that you should follow to get this car or not. This is how you should handle your money. What we do is, as Christians, when we go to the New Testament and we begin to pour into that, what we're looking for is wisdom. And the hard part is it's not a yes or no answer. It's here's how to decide. I just wanted a yes or no answer. Can I get a green light or a red light on this? And God's like, no, I want you to trust me. I want you to pour through this stuff. I want you to think on this. I want you to ponder it. I want you to remember who I am and then make a good decision. And, and uh, I want a yes or no, please. And we, we're just not going to get those. So what the New Testament is telling us to do is make a good and a wise and a godly decision. God's got to be in that calculation. He's got to be part of how you're, you're analyzing this stuff. So I don't know if I'm going to get a new car or not. Just, I know you were all worried about that. The next thing that we can do is, is people. Now, Israel did go to Samuel. They didn't ask. They demanded, but they did go to Samuel. And, and what they did when going to Samuel is Samuel was their judge. He was their leader. He was their prophet. He could speak from God. And so they went to him, and they, they should have said, what should we do instead of do this for us? So people as part of it. Now, in Israel, that was a huge mixed bag. You got people who, who loved the Lord, people who didn't care about the Lord. It was just all over the map. You've been saved into the church of Jesus Christ. And the good news is, in the church of Jesus Christ, the way you get in there is by believing in Jesus, being sealed with the Holy Spirit. So we have a benefit that they didn't have. You have a room full of advisors. You don't have to go find a Samuel. You've got a room full of advisors, people who have walked with the Lord, who've experienced his ways, who are sealed with the same Holy Spirit you are, and you can go to them and say, what do you think? And, and, the, and the news gets even better because... Let's say you're having a problem at, at your work and you, you're trying to make a wise decision about this job thing that's going on and nobody else in this church is a member of that particular profession. So you could go and ask people and they could kind of give you generalities, but they won't know. But you don't have to just go to us. You can go to people from another church who might have experience. The church is much bigger than this. And so there are just tons of people that you can go to. But look, you want wise people, people who have got experience, people who are godly not just because they say that they're Christian, but they act like it. And so you can go to other people and you can say, well, what should I do? And what you're hearing here when you do this is not just the Holy Spirit who's in you. He's given in different measure in different ways to different people. And so you'll be able to listen to somebody else and say, what's your experience been? How is this working for you? What kind of things are you seeing that I'm missing? And so we need to listen to each other. So all of these things can kind of come together, prayer, scripture, other people. And you, you seek all of this input, and then God speaks from heaven, and the clouds open, and he says, buy the car, Tim. I wish. That's not how it goes. That was one of the things when I was looking into this, I was like, so how do I wait on the Lord? And everybody talked about prayer and, and, and people and all of these other things. And I'm like, yeah, but when it comes down to it, and then what? Well, you have to be careful here because the answer is not going to be necessarily what we think it's going to be. Um, 
unless you hear an audible voice from heaven speaking to you, what you feel may or may not be God working in you. It could be just your own biases, your own fears, your own desires. And so way too often I think we, we say, well, God told me. And I'm like, did he? Or, or was that just what you were kind of already thinking? So be careful with that phrase, God told me. What you, unless you can read it in scripture and go, it says right here, God didn't tell you necessarily. He might have, but he might not have. So be careful with that. What you want to do is listen carefully, think through some options, pray with other people, get some advice, and then make a decision. And the decision may be, I'm not going to do anything. Or the decision might be, I'm going to take a step in this direction. And here, I've got great news for you on this. You can't mess this up. You, you can't go wrong on this. Because what Israel did was they jumped ahead of the Lord, and did God obliterate the nation at that moment? Did he abandon them and go, well, you guys are on your own. You don't want me around. He absolutely did not. He is faithful to his people. So what he did is he said, okay, let's work through this together. I want you to learn this very valuable lesson until David's ready. And then I'll bring you the king after my own heart. So when we make those decisions, when we do all of the steps that we need to do to wait on the Lord, to not jump ahead, to not sit and quietly do nothing, the, the, the great thing is, God has promised us he will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called for his purpose. Even your own mistakes, even your own mess-ups, even your own, I got this wrong, he will work that together for your good. So th this is the benefit of being a Christian here is we can say, Lord, I need wisdom. I don't understand. And what James 1 says is, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. These are the kind of things that we need from the scripture. So when we decide to take that step, we go, Lord, I need, I, I'm coming after you. God says, okay, make your best decision. And even in making that decision, God is still working in your life and saying, let me, let me hone that for you. Let's, let's continue to move in this direction. He is working all of those things together for your good because you love him and you are called according to his purpose. So when we look at this, this episode in Saul's uh, coronation, what we're seeing is it's not Saul. Saul's incidental at this point. He will move to the forefront soon, but at this point he's incidental. God is dealing with the people and he's saying, you, the problem was there was no king in Israel. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes, including asking for a king before the time. But God says, even in that, I'm still working. I'm still perfecting. I'm still leading. I'm going to get you to a good place. And so let's, let's take the next step. You've demanded a king. Like the nations, check out Saul. Boy, you ain't going to get any better than that. Look, he's tall, he's handsome, he's rich. This is the guy. This is what you ask for. So deal with that until I bring my, God, my king in, the king after my own heart. Then we'll see what happens. But God's still working in their lives. He didn't abandon them. He's not going to abandon you. So wrestle with those tough decisions uh, feel the pain, go to God with, with the anger and the frustration. He's not surprised. He already knows what's going on in your heart. Bring it to him. Bring it to his people. Take it to the scriptures and look for those promises. God, what are you promising me that you're going to do for me? And then act in wisdom. Had Israel done this, God might have just said, Samuel, tell him to hang on. I got a guy coming. But that wasn't what they wanted. So let's not get ahead of the Lord. There are mountain lions out there, folks, and they're looking for you. You're easy prey unless you're with the Lord. When you're walking with the Lord, he's going to protect you. He's got you. 
So this is the coronation of Saul. Next week, we'll see his first real big act as king. But right now, we have a king in Israel because we did what was right in our own heart. Let's look forward and walk with the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Lord, you are um, good. You are always good. And Lord, you have made promises to your church that not one of us will be lost. Lord, that we will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that we will be your people. Lord, you predestined us to conformity to the image of Christ. And so, Lord, thank you for your mercy, your grace, grace unbounded, grace free, poured out on us as we wrestle through how to be more like our big brother Jesus. Lord, would you grant everybody wisdom, I pray. Help us all to see and to know and to understand, to not get ahead of you in the way that you're leading in the things that you're bringing us to. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name for his glory, for his fame, and for his kingdom. Amen.